We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. from Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for the day of disaster. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. This is the word of the Lord. Seats. Thanks, Danielle. Let me welcome you. Uh, my name is Brent. If I haven't met you yet, and I am one of the pastors here, and I hope to see you at lunch. We would love for you to come to the newcomer lunch that David, uh, Dave, David, Dave. <laughs> Never call you David. Uh, Dave, Pastor Dave was telling us about. Um, for the last six weeks, we've been studying the Book of Proverbs. And we've been talking about wisdom, and we've defined wisdom like this. We've said that wisdom, I think we have this up here. Yes. Wisdom is navigating the maze of life in such a way that the decisions we make honor God and cause you and those around you to flourish. It's it's, it's making decisions in such a way that God is honored, that enables us to flourish, and leads to the flourishing of others around us. And so we have looked at wisdom in our words and what does it look like to be wise in our money. We've talked about wisdom in our work. Uh, Last week we talked about wisdom in our friendships. And this week uh, we are going to actually wrap up this series by talking about wisdom in decision making. How do you discern God's will in all the decisions that you have to make in life? I've been a pastor for almost 20 years, and this may be the number one question that has come up in the last 20 years. How do I discern God's will in all of these different decisions that I have to make in life? Where should I go to school? What should I major in? Should I go to grad school? What should I do for my career? Should I, should I stay in the job that I have, or should I, should I change jobs? Should I marry this person, or should we break up? Should I, should I stay here or should I move? You know, should I go somewhere else where parking is way easier and my car isn't broken into nearly as much? Um, should, should we have kids or not? How should we spend our money? Uh, how, how do I care for aging parents? When do I retire? What do I do when I retire? We have so many decisions 
that we make in life. In fact, Cornell University, uh, they did a study on this, and researchers uh, said that on average, on average, the average person makes 35,000 decisions every single day. From what time we get up, to what we wear, to what we eat. They said that on food alone, the average person makes 227 decisions every single day. You wonder why you're so exhausted in life? It's because you're always making decisions. And if you have kids, that means not only are you making decisions for yourself, you're making decisions for them. This is why we are so exhausted, because we have so many decisions to make. And the thing that is so tricky about all of these decisions is that most often we are not choosing between right and wrong. I mean, there are decisions like that in life. But the large majority of decisions that we make in life are not choosing between right and wrong or good and bad or what's moral and immoral. No, we're actually choosing between a set of options that on the surface all seem good. The problem is that they're not all wise. So how do you discern God's will when you're faced with a decision that has multiple good options? I've heard several kind of main responses from Christians on that question. Some Christians say, you know, I'm just, I'm praying that God would give me peace. I'm just praying for peace. Well, okay, but how do you know if God is giving you peace or you're just, you're just in a relaxed mood? that day. You just kind of chill. You know, you're in your zen. Uh, I've heard other Christians say, you know, I'm praying for a sign. I'm just praying that God would give me a sign. Someone once told me that they were convinced that they were supposed to move to a particular city because they had been thinking about this city. It just kind of kept coming up in their mind. And then they watched a show on HGTV (laughs) that was a home remodel in that city. And guess what? They moved to that city. They were like, it's a sign. It's a sign. Now, you know, God can work through all things. He can work through HGTV. Amen? He can work through HGTV. But I don't know if this is the way you want to go through life, making decisions, always looking for signs. Other Christians, I've heard other Christians say, I'm just praying for a verse. I'm praying God would give me a verse. And so, you know, they kind of pray and close their eyes and flip the Bible open and, and just randomly put their finger on a verse. Well, that's dangerous. There's a lot of verses you wouldn't want to land on in the Bible. You know, what if that verse was David committed adultery with Bathsheba? You're like, oh, well, okay, let's try that again. That's not the verse. You know, go and do likewise. This is a bad way. This is a bad way. Listen, it is, you do not, don't treat the Bible like a Ouija board, okay? Do not treat the Bible like a Ouija board. We do not need a verse We don't need a sign. We don't need a peace. You know what we need? We need wisdom. That's what we need. And God wants to give it to you, which is the good news. So we have this whole book of Proverbs. Now, Proverbs tells us three things that we need to get this wisdom as we think about making decisions in our lives. Let me give them to you up front. This is kind of our roadmap where we're going today. There's a mystery that we need to embrace. There's a path that we need to walk. And there are practices that we need to cultivate in our lives. So a mystery we need to embrace, a path we need to walk, and uh, practices we need to cultivate. So first, there's a mystery that we need to embrace. Look at this verse, Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent 
lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Now, what is this verse doing? It's commending planning. It's commending diligence. It is saying we ought to plan. It is saying that our our decisions actually matter. They, They have real effect in our lives and in the world. That if we make wise decisions, it leads to good things. And if we make unwise decisions, it leads to bad things. But then look at this verse, Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. We plan. Our plans matter. And at the same time, it is God's purposes that ultimately prevail. Do you see the mystery? We're responsible, and God is in total control. In fact, God is in control of even the smallest things. I mean, look at this verse. Proverbs 16, verse 9. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Casting lots was like flipping a coin. This verse is saying God is in control of all things, even something as small as a coin flip. You say, wait a minute. Our decisions matter, and God is in control. That is a total contradiction. Both of those things cannot be true. Either we are totally free to make decisions, or God is totally sovereign. It doesn't make sense for both to be true. Now, here's the problem with that. The problem is you're using your ability to understand something as a test to decide whether it's true or not. The periodic table makes zero sense to me. Some of you, you know it backwards and forwards. I could never get it in school. It makes zero sense to me. Does that mean that the periodic table is not true? No. No, you see, in fact, doesn't it actually make sense that if there were a God and he really did create everything. In other words, he is the creator and we are creatures. He stands outside of time. We stand inside of time. He is infinite and we are finite. Then doesn't it actually make sense that there would be things about him and ways that he has set up reality and how the world works that would not make sense to us and that actually would seem like contradictions to our minds? It is a mystery, but that doesn't mean that it's not true. We are one, it's not 50-50, by the way. We are 100% responsible to make wise decisions, and God is 100% in control of our decisions. It's a mystery, and if you think about it, it's actually, it's a mystery we can't live without. Because on the one hand, if it's all on God, if everything is just predetermined, If your decisions don't matter, if they have no effect in your life and in this world, then what motivation do you have to get out of bed in the morning? I mean, why do anything if God is in total control? But on the other hand, if it's all on you, if God isn't in control, I mean, how could you possibly even get out of bed in the morning? Think about that kind of pressure on your life. You know, if the average person makes 35,000 decisions a day, that means that we make hundreds of millions of decisions 
over the course of our life. Hundreds of millions of decisions. Now, a lot of those are insignificant. They're not of real consequence, but many of them are. And if it's all on you, guess what? You better get every single one right. (laughs) See, what do you do with the ones that you've actually gotten wrong? And I don't just mean a little wrong. I mean decisions where you have gotten it really, really wrong, where you have blown it. One of the most remarkable verses in the whole Bible is in Matthew chapter 1, and it's one of the parts of the Bible that we typically just kind of read right over. Matthew 1.1 begins this way. It says, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then, and then a couple of verses down in Matthew 1.6, it says, and David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. You know what I love about this verse? It is taking one of the worst decisions, if not the worst decision, that David ever made, which was committing adultery with Bathsheba, and then having her husband killed off to cover it up. And it is saying that God used even that to accomplish salvation by bringing Jesus into the world. Here's why we can't live without this mystery. It's because it says God is not just in control of small decisions, but he's actually in, he can use even our worst decisions. This is such good news for us this morning. Some of us, we just have a track record of decisions that have really messed up our life, that have really hurt us, and have really hurt others around us. And what this mystery is saying is, there is no plan B for your life. God is always working in your life. He's working in the good things, and he's working in the hard things. He's working in the small things, and he's working in the big things. You cannot derail his purposes, and so you can relax, actually. And you can make wise decisions, and you can trust that God is always at work, and that his purposes will always prevail. There is a mystery we need to embrace. Second, there's a path that we need to walk. Look at this verse from Proverbs chapter 4. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I instruct you, listen to this, in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. Notice it talks about the way of wisdom. Wisdom is a way. And then it says, I'll lead you along straight paths. Wisdom is a path. Wisdom is a way. Wisdom is a path. In other words, wisdom is not a door. See, we want wisdom to be like a door. Do you remember that game show, Let's Make a Deal? Is that show still on? It's still on? Yeah. Some of you are still watching. All right, let's make a deal. This dish, if you've never seen it, you know, it's kind of like The Price is Right. There are a bunch of different games. There was one game on this show where the contestant was given three doors, and they had to choose between the three doors, and they didn't know what was behind any of the doors. And behind one of the doors was always a new car. And behind the other two doors was like a goat and a pig, you know, something you did not want to take home with you. I bet they just left those animals there, like you keep your animals. We, this, is, this is life for us. We have all these decisions that we face in life, and we don't know which door to choose, and we just wish God would tell us the right door, so we can go through the door. But wisdom is not a door. Wisdom is a path. It is a way, which means wisdom is a process. 
You say, process? No, I need answers now. Like, I am trying to figure, make decisions right now. Why won't God give me answers right now? Well, here's why. Because God is the perfect parent. You know, what, what does a good parent do? Um, I have two young children at home, and every single night, every single night after we eat dinner, they say, can I have dessert? Can I have dessert? Now, I have a 21-year-old, and he used to ask me that question every single night, too. And I want you to imagine if you're at my house eating dinner, we're having dinner, and my 21-year-old calls from college and says, hey, Dad, can I have dessert after dinner tonight? What would you say? Some of you are too nice. You wouldn't say anything, but you'd be thinking, you didn't do a very good job, Brent. You did not do a very good job of teaching this this child, how to be an adult. There are parents who want their child to be so enmeshed with them that they're incapable of making decisions on their own. And God is not one of those parents. God created you to be 100% free to make decisions. And that is why he is far more interested in training you and teaching you how to become a wise person than just giving you the answers all the time right when you want it. And you say, well, okay, how does God train us? Well, when Proverbs talks about the way of wisdom and the path of wisdom, it's actually picking up on a very important theme in the Bible. One of the main themes in the Bible is walking. Walking is one of the main ways that the Bible actually summarizes what it means to have a relationship with God. In Genesis chapter 3, it says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. In Genesis uh, chapter 17, God says to Abraham, Abraham, walk before me. In Leviticus 26, God says, I will walk among you and I will be your God and you will be my people. A couple months ago, we just finished a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. We're in Galatians 5. Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Friends, Christianity is, way, is about way more than just believing in God. It is about walking with God. And that is a beautiful thing. Because walking is all about personal presence. Walking is all about having a relationship with someone. It's way different than running. See, when you run with someone... You can't talk. Some of you can, and you need to know, not many of you, you need to you know the rest of us, we don't like to talk when we run. You talk, we listen, but the, most of the world actually doesn't like to talk while we run. But you see, in walking, when you're walking, you get friendship. You get intimacy. You get fellowship. You get, you get relationship. Walking with God means having a relationship with God. Have you ever been faced with a decision and you've prayed, God, just make it clear to me. Just make it clear to me. And sometimes God does, but most of the time, a lot of the time, God doesn't. Why doesn't God make it clear? Well, here's why. Because God wants a relationship with you. He's not just interested in a transaction. He doesn't just want to be a genie in a bottle 
that you go to when you need answers. See, we, we, want, we want peace, and we want signs, and we want verses, but God wants to give you something much better. He wants to give you himself. He wants you to walk with him. And he wants to grow you in wisdom, and that just doesn't happen overnight. It, 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 it happens over a lifetime, actually. There's no, there are no shortcuts to wisdom. There's one, actually. There's one shortcut. You're not going to like it. Suffering. That's the one shortcut. Suffering can do one of two things in your life. It can make you more wise or it can make you more of a fool. It can make you more hard and more cynical and more bitter. Or it can soften you, make you more compassionate, more able to empathize with others, more in touch with reality that you're not in control of your life as much as you like to think, give you perspective on life, on what really matters in life, which is actually what you most need when you're trying to make decisions in life. I mean, but you get the point. Wisdom is a path, it's a process, it's a way of walking with God day in and day out. And you say, man, I was really hoping this sermon was going to be a little more practical because I've got some decisions I'm trying to make in life right now. And I was hoping you were kind of giving me some, some real practical steps. Okay, that's point three. Proverbs, let's talk about some practices we need to cultivate. Uh, Proverbs gives us all sorts of practical wisdom on how to make decisions, on what to do when you don't know what to do, on what to do when you don't know how to decide. And we've only got time, I'm going to give you four this morning, they're all from this verse, and what I want to do, I just want to this is not the right verse. This is the wrong verse. Okay, so it's in your worship guide. I think it's the first one. It's Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Um, listen, to, listen to this verse. Oh, here we go. We have it. We do have it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Friends, if there is any verse I could commend you to memorize, this would be one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Let's just, four things, very quickly, four very practical things this verse teaches us on how to make wise decisions. First, Lean on God's word. Lean on God's word. Culture says when you are faced with a decision, lean on your gut. Lean on your feelings. Lean on your understanding. Proverbs says lean on God's understanding. Well, where do you find that? You find it in the Bible. The Bible is the primary way that God speaks to us. It's not a Ouija board, but it is how God speaks to us. See, are you reading? Are you listening? 
Are you seeking God's wisdom through God's word? It's inconsistent to say, I just want God to make it clear to me and to show me, but to not be leaning on God's words. If you are desperate for God's wisdom, start here. Start with God's word. But here's the second thing that verse tells us. Listen to God's people. See, when it says lean not on your own understanding, it's not just talking about leaning on God's understanding. Proverbs has a lot to say about leaning on the understanding of those around you. Conventional wisdom says you should not care what anyone else thinks. Proverbs says that is the definition of a fool. (laughs) A fool is someone who is wise in their own eyes. But the wise person knows that they need the wisdom of others. See, whenever you're trying to make a decision, whenever you are trying to discern God's will, you have got to invite others into the process. Who are you inviting into your life? Who do you seek out in your decisions? Who are you listening to? And are they the right people? See, it's not just enough to listen to anyone. Are you listening to people who are wise? Are you listening to people who have been walking with God much longer than you have? Who are way more trained in the path of wisdom than you are? You know, that's one of the beautiful things about the church. It puts you in relationship with people who've been walking with God longer than you have. Some of you in this room, you think, I've been walking with God a really long time, and I feel like my time here is almost done, you know? But no, 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 you have so much to offer those who need wisdom. You have to listen to other people. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, I don't doubt that the Holy Spirit guides your decisions from within when you make them with the intention of pleasing God. The error would be to think that he speaks only within Whereas in reality, he speaks also through scripture, the church, and Christian friends. You have to listen to others. Here's here's the third practical step. Look to God's providence. Now, I love what Proverbs 3 says. It says, in all your ways, submit to him. And then it says, and he will make your paths straight. There's an assumption under those words. And the assumption is this. If you are walking with God right now, God is already making your paths straight. The the word that theologians use for this is the word providence. And providence is one of the most beautiful, hopeful doctrines you will find in all of the Bible. Providence says that God is ordering your life. That he's actually creating a path for you. It says that the experiences that you've had the opportunities that you've had, the opportunities that are now being laid in front of you, the doors that are opening, the gifts that you have, the abilities that you have, the circumstances that are surrounding you, none of these things are accidents. They are God's providence. They're his path for your life. And so whenever you come to decisions and you're trying to make decisions, You have to look for God's providence. You have to take these things into account. They can be such a help for you as you're making decisions. I'll I'll give you an example of this. The example is, 
when I was praying about starting this church five years ago, six years ago, uh, I was not at all sure if we should do it. In fact, I was very hesitant. But we did it, and we did it for three, really for three reasons. One, we'd lived in this city for 11 years, and we loved it. Two, uh, all of our friends and mentors and wise counselors were telling us we should do it. And three, to start a church, you need three things, okay? You need three things to start a church. And you need them in this order. You need the Holy Spirit, you need people, and you need money. I've lived in Oakland for 20 years. I've seen a lot of people move here from other parts of the country to try and start a church. And it didn't work. They had the Holy Spirit. What they didn't have was they didn't have people and they didn't have enough money. Now, we did. And when I say we had money, I don't mean I personally had lots of money. I had been doing college ministry for 11 years. You know who else doesn't have money? College students. You guys are broke as a joke. (laughs) And you're here, you're like, I can't wait to get some free food outside after this. I'm coming to that newcomer lunch. You know, I'm coming to that newcomer lunch. Um, College students don't have money. But you know what? For 11 years, I did college ministry, which meant I spent 11 years building relationships with people and churches all across the country who wrote checks for that ministry. And then when we started thinking about this church, they said, you know, we'd like to give to that. And I just have to tell you, you don't know this, but there are people all over this country who have given all sorts of money to make what God is doing here possible. It's a beautiful thing. You know, and then because we had lived here, I mean, we've been here almost 20 years, but, you know, 11 years of doing college ministry, we knew a lot of people. I mean, we we had a broad community of folks who said, hey, a new church in Oakland, a new church in the city and for the city, a church not just for ourselves, which is what we're talking about the next three weeks in our vision series. I want to be a part of that. I'd like to be a part of that. I'm telling you, when we started this church, I really did not want to start this church. I did not want to start this. I was terrified. I, I did not, I had zero inner peace. Zero. <laughs> Friends, a white dude from South Carolina who talks funny, planning a church in Oakland. That is the comp, that sounds like the first line of a joke you tell a friend. But we did it. You know why we did it? Because we were looking to God's providence and we were listening to God's people. Here's the last thing when you're trying to make a decision. Trust in God's plan. That verse, Proverbs 3, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know, you can't can't trust God's plan unless you really believe that God's plan is for your good. The fact that God's purposes will always prevail will only be good news to you to the extent that you really believe that God loves you. Now, why do I say that this is a a practice we have to cultivate? I say it because we don't believe it. I mean, we say we believe God loves us. We really don't believe God loves us. 
If you and I really believed God loves us, our lives would have looked dramatically different this last week. And they would look dramatically different this coming week. So you've got to get God's love deep down into your bones. But how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, you have to come back over and over and over again to God's plan. Do you know that God accomplished salvation by making a plan? Listen to this verse from Ephesians 1, verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan. For the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God's plan was to have an unending love relationship with us. Our plan was to reject him. It was to lean not on his understanding or his wisdom, but to lean on our own. You see, but rather than rejecting us, you know what God did? He came and he walked amongst us. You know, you you can't, the only reason we can walk with God is because he walked with us. When, when When you open the New Testament, if you did a word search on the word walk in the Bible, you know who walked more than anybody else in the Bible? The Lord Jesus Christ. He was always walking. Why did God take on human form and come down into this world and walk among us? Well, he came to show us God's wisdom. Jesus is wisdom embodied. He's wisdom in flesh. He's wisdom incarnated. But he didn't just come to show us God's wisdom. He came to accomplish God's plan. What plan? God's plan to love you and to walk with you and to be in relationship with you and to train you and to lead you in the path and the way of wisdom. And that is what this table is all about. It is about God's plan and his purposes and his determination to love you. And friends, the gospel says there is nothing in this world and there is nothing that you can ever do in your life to derail that plan. God said, I know what that plan is going to take. It's going to take me walking all the way to a cross. And he did it. Now, who else? I mean, just ask yourself, who else has loved you like this? You know, when you understand that God has loved you like this, you, you, it means you can trust him in any decision. In fact, it means that we'd be actually be fools not to. It means we can trust him with any decision. It means that we can now move out and make wise decisions, leaning on God's word, listening to God's people, looking to God's providence. And it means that you can relax even when you make decisions that are not wise and do not go well. Why? Because God is always at work, friends. God is always at work. And his plans and his purposes always prevail. And so on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it saying, this cup represents the new covenant which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. 
The Bible tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your wisdom and we thank you for your love. A love that is made possible to us because of what your son has done for us. And that is what this table proclaims to us today. God, we, we come suspicious. God, we, we come suspicious. We come not, if we know ourselves, we come not fully convinced that you really do love us, that you really are for us. And yet as we come to this table, we find a God whose arms are stretched out wide, saying, I will do anything for you. I have done everything for you. Trust me. Help us to do that today as we eat and drink together, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.